Welcome to the December 24th, 2020 edition of Digging Out. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh. This program today casts the longest view of debris yet to be cleared. That is debris for so many millennia. With my guest, Ava Park, we're biting off a big one to chew on. An hour won't do just to, to hear her expansive thinking, but I'll try, we'll try as she will offer us some perspectives on just how far back the debris from patriarchy has accumulated. Ava Park is founder, director, and curator of the Museum of Woman, founder, spiritual director, the Goddess Temple of Orange County, a women's spiritual organization meeting at the Museum of Woman, which is currently on hold. We'll talk about that near the end about the reopening after the pandemic has dwindled out and it's safe to be in larger groups once again. Ava Park is also founder, board member of Orange County People for Animals. She originated the Four Powers of Woman taught in Sunday services for women. That's now, a, it's a virtual service that's on a monthly basis. Ava is an activist for Tibetan rights. She hosted a show here on KUCI called Visionaries, which she did for five years. She's an awardee, person of the year with the OC Weekly, and her formal training includes Women's Theology, Reformed Congregation of the Goddess Inc., Women's Mysteries of the Ancient and Future Sisterhood with Vajra Ma, and Enneagram Certification. Ava comes to us today from her home in Irvine. Welcome to Digging Out, Ava Park. <laughs> I am so pleased to dig out with you. It's so much fun to be with you, Claudia. Thank you kindly. Well, to begin with, I fully, Ava, I expect to make a good many mistakes having had the patriarchy baked pretty deeply into my construct, pretty much like most of us, patriarchy has been around so long. How far back would you estimate if it's noble or put another way, Ava, when did mansplaining first take place? <laughs> well, there are lots of different theories, Claudia, uh, and uh, I do enumerate them in the Queen teachings, but Maybe some six to 10,000 years ago, lots of people believe that somehow things got overturned from ancient matriarchies, which were all over the globe, where women did not rule. I, do, I would not like to use that term because a matriarchy is not the reverse of patriarchy. A matriarchy is not where women are dominating the men. Matriarchies actually, and there are still some extent today, they operate in a very egalitarian way. The brilliant Heidi Gettner Abendroth might be the, the queen of this work. She's written several books, Societies of Peace and others where she has explored ancient and modern matriarchies. And we see from the matriarchies that we still have left that men are respected and they are in support of guiding and leadership of woman because they realize that woman has something a little different from them. And so they willingly join in with the leadership of woman. So when did it begin? Mm, 6,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, 12,000 years ago, something like that. When you talk, Ava, about it being the matriarchy being present 
in our times, I'm wondering, are, are we looking at some Native American indigenous people that are maybe the closest example? Is, is that part yes. of the understanding? Because I've, I've had a couple on my other show, Ask a Leader, and the metaphors were rich and they, they were all matriarchal, but they didn't, they did not put that name on it, though, interestingly enough. Well, right, because it's like, uh, you know, does a fish recognize water? Water, what water? That's just the, the medium that you swim in. And so when you've been a matriarchy for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, then you probably don't call it a matriarchy. It's just the way you live. Right, right. <laughs> and yes, yes. Uh, there are several uh, Eastern, not, not every Native American tribe is matriarchal today, but there are several Eastern tribes that still are. And a really great example also for farther from home are the Tibetan Mosuo. Wow. Now we know Tibetans as a general population <laughs> are under threat of survival. So the, the matriarchal aspect of that, are they, they are similarly threatened or maybe threatened in a, to no. a greater extent than the general population? Yes, they certainly are. And it's both intentional and unintentional. What is happening is the Chinese government is relocating thousands and thousands of their own people, Han Chinese, uh, to the uh, Tibetan area to swamp it with a new culture, with the Chinese culture, to do away with the ancient indigenous culture that was rooted in the Bon religion, which is so old that you know most people don't know anything about it. Uh, yeah, the, the Mosuo still live and they still practice uh, their ancient way of life, yet it is extremely unfortunate that their principles are misunderstood. And so one of their principles is a freedom of sexuality. And when a patriarchal man from the so-called West, and I don't like to call it West and East because on a globe, what's West and East? On a globe, you can only have West and East if you think that Europe is the center of the world, which right. it is not. So I don't, you know, I use West and East with little quotes around it. But when Western men come to the Mosuo and they experience this free sexuality of the women, there's no cultural context for it. And so they just sort of treat them like prostitutes. And the Mosuo are being inundated with this outside force that does not understand their culture and does not understand what it means. And so it's really starting to ruin the Mosuo culture, which is a great grief, should be a great grief for all of us. Oh man. No, to say there. So I guess that's such a rarity and a remote kind of culture and demographic that I, I can't imagine there's a way of sustaining and preserving them, supporting them. It's, it's, it seems like a really horrific demise, an unpreventable yeah. demise. Claudia, totally get your feeling. And I have a lot of grief that runs through me and I let it run through me like a river because um, I just don't hold on to it. I just let it run through me like a river. And then something else is on the other side. And we can feel despairing about patriarchal constructs with which we all live today. But here's the thing that gives me hope, and here's the thing that makes me smile, and here's the thing that I know is really going to fix everything. 
uh, my dear friend and colleague and teacher, Vajra Ma, magnificent woman. She has written a, a small pamphlet that is a brilliant, brilliant book. It's like a, a little miniature Bible for women, and it's called uh, The Hidden Stream, The Natural Spiritual Authority of Woman. And so when we think about patriarchy, what we can remember is that there is this powerful hidden stream of female goodness that is bringing life and shakti to everything. And without it, everything dies. So that hidden stream can be hidden, but it can never be done away with. Just like the Christians couldn't get rid of Mary. Mary is a goddess. Mary is the, the emanation of female principle of goddess in Christianity. And believe me, they tried to get rid of her, but the people would not have it because the people can sense where life flows from. And obviously life flows from woman, woman gives birth, uh, even though uh, patriarchal minds have tried to uh, dismiss that by creating their own myths of Zeus birthing Athena from his forehead and, you know, all such nonsense. But, you know, the people know what the truth is. Woman gives life, woman gives birth. And so whenever I feel down about patriarchy, whenever I feel despairing, I just remember that you cannot get rid of the hidden stream. It's underneath everything. It's in nature. I'm looking outside my window and seeing the flowers bloom even in, in December and uh, the hibiscus is going crazy. And it's like life, life, life. And life is associated on this plane with the female principle. And so you can never get rid of it. So there's no reason to despair. That doesn't mean that we should just kick back and do nothing about some of the things that are happening in our world, but we can do it with joy and confidence and good heart because we have a hidden stream of energy, of goodness, of beauty, of compassion, uh, of knowledge, of wisdom, ancient wisdom that is constantly nourishing us from below. So I would like to direct listeners to your website, Museum of Woman, and Vajra Ma has a number of readings from The Hidden Stream with a delivery that is so affirming, it mm. will carry this message that you're affirming us with right now. So I'm going to keep looking for any more installments, but and it's, it's an unbelievably polished and unflappable and charming and witty delivery. So that there's more for everybody to take partake in after hearing today's interview. Well, I guess as part of our relearning, I want to take an analogy with your permission about relearning about the notions of matriarchy and patriarchy. Let's go to the boardroom and the board table. Maybe, maybe there's no boardroom at all, but I'm just wondering if we could set up a, in a matriarchy, is it like, what kind of furniture is in there? What's it's the shape of the furniture? What's the number of people? Are there any walls? What, what's the number of people represented? Is there a gavel? Is there a, a staff? Is there, what would you say would be something like the boardroom from where you've talked about the notion of rule, it does not quite, exist in the same way in a matriarchy, but maybe let's see what we can do to tinker with the boardroom, Ava Park, with your permission. <laughs> of course, of course. So obviously every different culture uh, would do it differently in their own way. So the things I might that might pop into my mind certainly would not be across the board, but it might be people, men and women, sitting in a circle around a fire 
and they're sitting on the ground because they know they need to be close to the earth. They know that energy arises from the earth. And we in our culture have gotten really away from the earth. In fact, many of the things that we talk about, the way we use language shows the patriarchal, the dominator model idea of sort of disgust of the earth. Then the earth, of course, represents mother, represents woman, represents the female principle. And so we have words like dirty, soiled, base, low, down. All those things are pejoratives and negatives. And what are they? That's you look down and you have the earth beneath your feet. Why are those things dirty? Why, why is dirt dirty? Why, is, why are you a soiled dove? That was an old term for prostitute. So we think about our language. So these people that we're imagining, they don't feel that way about the earth. The earth is their mother. The earth is from which everything comes. Everything we've ever eaten or drunk or used has come from the earth. And so they don't have that attitude. So they sit on the ground to be, to be close to her. And a fire, you know, they might have a fire because it's warming. There would be men and women, but the people who would be honored and respected as the guides would be perhaps the other matriarch, who is what I talk about in the queen teachings as a good queen. The good queen guides. She's a center holder. And she guides with uh, no ego or as little ego as, as she can muster. And in these cultures, they have a lot less ego, just naturally. That's the way everyone is raised. So she has a very little ego and she makes decisions based on her vision, her good vision of life, which includes the next generations, you know, as they talk about the next seven generations. And she has boundaries. She knows that's what the queen does. She has vision, but she also has boundaries. Like what is what are the boundaries needed for my culture to express this great vision together? And so then there would be a council of elder women who were wise women, who had a lot of experience with life, who had seen a lot of things, and nothing would be done without the discussion and guidance of these this elder women council. There would be men present, but they would be men who were raised in this woman-honoring, woman-centering context, and they would be fully supportive. There, there would be very little arguing because everybody would have the same vision for life, and that's part of what is the problem in our society today worldwide is that we are so many and so many different tribes, if you will, and we are so influenced by, you know, thousands of years of patriarchy that we don't all have a common vision. And that's what we have to start thinking about as human beings. What is our common vision for working and living and playing and enjoying each other and building lives on this planet? So those would be a few of the things that I think would, would take place in the boardroom of a, a matriarchal culture. Well, thank you for that. For those of you who've just joined us, you're listening to Digging Out, where we're doing a bit of patriarchal unlearning with my guest, Ava Park, 
founder, director, and curator of the Museum of Woman, founder, spiritual director of the Goddess Temple of Orange County, and activist for many oppressed and marginalized groups. Well, when you're talking about that kind of construct, then there is no such thing of that zero sum gain that I think has ratcheted down the patriarchy to a very few people that are in positions of making decisions. And that there is no giving up any power because the idea of the zero sum is what you give others, you are giving up instead of the, it seems like the matriarchy would not even have room for something as the concept of zero sum. In our way of thinking, our female centered way of thinking, we have the idea of the shared good. And there's no competition in the shared good for the good. In a patriarchy, there is competition. It's a pie. And the bigger the slice I get of the pie, the less you have. And that is the construct. So then there's this win-lose idea of proceeding. I must win. I must get the toys in my sandbox. And that means you have fewer toys in your sandbox. Too bad for you. But that is not the way our goddess culture, our our female-centered culture works. Imagine a mother who had a bunch of children. Let's say she had nine children. Would she allow one of those children to have all of the resources and let the others struggle? No, of course not. That's why there would be no 1% in a matriculture. That wouldn't happen. There would be more of a shared good. And there's a place, if you have a big enough vision, and if you include everyone, then there is a place where your heart can go, where there is no competition, where you can see what the right decision is to provide the shared good, to provide the opportunity for everyone to have what they need. If you look at the construct of a patriarchy, it's an upward pointing triangle with the point at the top. And the king or the leader or the president is at the top. And then below him are kind of the middle managers and then below him are the working class as the pyramid gets bigger. And down at the very bottom are you know the, the really poor, the homeless, the disenfranchised, the people who have nothing. And the weight of all the people above, the people on the lowest portion of the triangle crushes those at the, at the bottom. And that's why it's so painful to be poor in a patriarchy. You are just crushed and it's very difficult to move out of it. Now envision a downward pointing triangle and imagine the queen is at the base. She is serving the people. She is not on top like some kind of diva ordering people around. That is not what the queen is. And there are a lot of myths about the queen. I once went to a mall when I was starting my queen work of maybe 20, 25 years ago. I went to a mall and I just sat there with my clipboard and I invited people, men and women, to tell me what they thought, give me a description of the queen. 
And oh boy, Claudia, was it negative. The bitch, the diva, she who must be obeyed, the ice queen, just terrible, terrible things, nothing good. And when you think about our fairy tales, the queen is always the evil one. She's the one handing you the apple that's poisoned. She's the one doing all the dirty stuff, you know? And so uh, we have this completely, it's a patriarchal reversal to take the good queen who serves, who holds a vision for life, who is the center holder and turn her into something evil. But in our culture that centers women and centers goodness for all, we have this idea that the queen is serving from underneath. She has no ego and she is serving all above her or I have another metaphor. She's at the center. She's the center holder. And then there are these concentric rings around her that pretty much everybody is equally considered. So you can see it's a a very different way of proceeding. And if we had leaders who proceeded in that way, there would be no special interests. There would be no 1%. And we would have systems that worked for everybody. And our leaders would, this is part of what's wrong with our leaders today, is that they kowtow to various interest groups and they do not have an overarching vision for all. I was thinking about this yesterday. When you think about our, even our transportation, visionary leaders would consider how to transport people. They would make a system that would transport people without damaging the environment, something that would be fair for everybody and affordable for all. And so we don't have those kinds of leaders. We don't have the idea from leaders that they must have a vision of shared good for everyone. And that's what we really must demand from our leaders, that they have a shared good vision for all. Well, I'm just looking at the diagrams you're offering here, Ava Park. I see that that triangle, you rounded those sharp corners with the concentric imagery of the matriarch. I think that's really interesting. So I'd like to find out about at what point, Ava, in your education, did you come to this understanding about matriarchy? Because you first got that patriarchal baking into you, but uh, that patriarchy contract baked in. But where did you start to rethink and unlearn some of this? Well, I was patriarchally baked. I really was. That is so true. That's such a good way to phrase it. I was raised in a very success-oriented model, like you must get ahead. And I don't know if you know anything about the Enneagram, but I'm a three Enneagram. Okay. And so that that even makes that worse. The three really wants to succeed and she'll, in her unhealthy state, she'll do pretty much anything. So I entered the corporate world when I was about 18 and I scrambled my way to the top and I did pretty good. And I was very male identified and I just copied the boys. I dressed like the boys, you know, whatever the female version of that was. And, uh, you know, that dress for success, John yes. Malloy thing. You remember that? Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I was uh, fully on board and I was just going to do whatever it took to be successful, to work my way to the top of the corporate ladder and have success and have money. And um, as I went along, I realized that something was very empty inside me, that yes, I was making money. Yes, everything looked good on the outside, but that I wasn't very happy. 
And so I thought, well, that must mean that I don't have enough success or accolades or money. And so I worked harder and it just got worse. Fortunately, I met an amazing woman who taught me about the Enneagram and she taught me about this drive for success that I had. And she shared with me some things that will take too long to, to talk about now, but that anyway, would be for the next, uh, the next time you're on digging out, please. What, what a woman like that has to do is find her heart and find what she really, really wants to do. And so I started turning to causes that meant something to me that I cared about. And I started looking into those. And I, I tried all sorts of different things. I worked on all different kinds of causes, but I felt that I was just putting out fires. And some of my causes were pretty successful. I got some stuff done because I'm the achiever, you know, so I, I did manage to achieve some things. But I saw that there was, it was like cutting out a little tumor here and there. I'd fix this thing and I'd fix that thing about animals and fix that other thing over there with suicide. And, and I, I felt like I wasn't getting to the core of the problem. And I felt like there was a cancer in the body and it was popping up tumors here and there. And I was running around cutting out the tumors, but I was ignoring the cause of the cancer itself. And so I started exploring and looking into it. And I came to the conclusion after a few years of study that the dominator model was the problem because it's the one that causes us to abuse animals and think that we're on top of animals and we can use animals for our own purposes. It's the one that thinks the land is, is something we can just rape and despoil and it doesn't matter. It's the one that harms women and uses their resources and their being for what it wants, in, in prostituting women. When you think about it, in ancient times, people had a more whole view of the world. Goddess, women, animals, and the land were all tied together in this mystical way. And everyone understood that you could not abuse one without starting to abuse the other. And patriarchy in its way of chopping everything up and compartmentalizing things has forgotten that. And so it thinks that it can use this over here and use that over there and despoil this over here and everything will be all right, but it isn't. And so when I started finding that out, then I really focused on the patriarchal model, on matriarchies, on the dominator model, which is the same thing, Rianne Eisler's great work and many others, uh, Chalice and the Blade, uh, Merlin Stone's When God Was a Woman. These were all the uh, Monica Sue's Great Cosmic Mother. These were all my, oh, and Mary Daly. Oh my gosh, don't forget Mary Daly. She changed my life. My God, what a woman, what a brilliant woman. And so as I started to learn these things, I finally, finally felt I had reached the core of the problem, what was making the cancer. And so I devoted my life to that. So those books that you reference, Ava Park, are that that could be maybe some of the sources for building an intellectual history text. I'd like for you to think out loud, how would you develop a text for young readers, a history text? Well, it, they have been developed and some of these books are exactly that. Certainly, if anybody was going to just 
want to read in an hour or two something very clear and direct, I would hand them Vajra Ma's pamphlet. It's genius. It cuts th through the heart of everything. You can read it in a couple of hours and you your eyes are opened. So it, it turns your world upside down if you have not thought about these things and it does it so clearly. And I have learned from her and uh, I have taken things in my own direction. Uh, the Queen Teachings, are something that I developed, the four powers of woman, maiden, mother, queen, and wise woman. In goddess culture, the queen is up until now cut out. And quite deliberately, I think, I was raised, well, when I, when I started looking into goddess culture about, I would say 20, 25 years ago, I uh, was taught maiden, mother, crone. Well, if the mother ends at, at menopause, then you just become an old woman immediately? Uh, no, no, there is a whole phase of life that happens between the end of your mothering period and the time you become a wise woman. And we cannot cut that period out. That's the time when women are supposed to lead their tribe. They've raised their children. And you know, I, I, when I say children, I don't mean you necessarily have to have human children. I'm talking about the mothering principle. So when a woman enters her queen years and the queen, all these archetypes are both phases of life, but they're also archetypes that live within us, no matter our age, all of them. And so the maiden is from first moon to first birth. And again, it's not a human child necessarily, but something you create, you gestate, you create, you birth into the world, and then you nurture it until it can live on its own. So perhaps uh, your birthing might be a book. So you would, you would gestate the book, you'd think about it, you would um, birth the book that you would publish, you know, you'd write it and publish it. And then you would go on a book tour and uh, then your book would be out in the world. You'd nourish it until it was out in the world and uh, it could live on its own, that's your baby. So the mothering uh, phase is from first birth to generally around age 20, 18 to 20 to menopause or perimenopause, and then you have your queen. And this is the most denied, demonized, and dismissed archetype of woman. And so that's from about age 45 or, or 50 to 65 or 70. And then you move into your wise woman. When you, you are the, the queen is actually from 45 to 65, she's still working very hard. And she's leading her tribe. Uh, she's mother to the whole tribe, no longer necessarily to just individuals. And she still is young enough to have the energy. And she combines that with her maturity and her wisdom. And then she leads the tribe. That's the, and that's what we have this, this missing aspect of woman in our culture. We have these women who are 50, 60 years old, sitting there at home, empty nesters, they're not empty nesters, they're queens. They're meant to be leading their communities. Uh, and not necessarily every single one, not every woman wants to lead their community, but you certainly can lead by example. And then by the time you're a wise woman, by the time you're 65 or 70, you're not supposed to work so hard. You are supposed to give your wisdom to your tribe. You're supposed to be in that council of elders. And it breaks my heart when I see, not that restaurants are open right now, but when restaurants are open, I see women in their 70s and 80s 
working as waitresses, and there's nothing wrong with being a waitress. I've been a waitress myself, but the wise, they're in their seventies and eighties and they are still slaving away physically. And it's, you know, clearly for some of them, it's challenging, but the patriarchal construct in which we live doesn't care about that. In a culture that centered on women, you would not make the elder woman work physically so hard. She would be, she would take her place, uh, her place of honor and respect. And we belittle elder women now, little old lady in tennis shoes. We'd be, we ignore them. We ignore their wisdom. We're so foolish as a culture. And so everything is upside down, backwards and wrong uh, about the dominator model. And we're just missing out on so much of the joy of being human and how pleasant. This is how a a hell and heaven get constructed in a dominator model. They promise you, okay, your life here is going to be crap. It's you're going to have a lot of suffering and too bad. That's just the way it is. But if you're really good, meaning if you bow to everything and do everything we tell you to do, then you'll get a heaven. Well, that's not the goddess way. The, The goddess way is to say, no, heaven's right here, right now if we treat each other well, if we have a vision for life. This is heaven right here. This earth is heaven. And so we don't have to wait for heaven. We can create it. And we need to start doing that. And women are doing that. Women are starting to create little small pockets of culture that are are not anti-male. There's no male bashing in in the construct I'm talking of. Mm -hmm. Men are absolutely part of all that is Men were created by goddess and are as divine as, as women in every way. And there is this shared good, this vision for shared good. And women are starting to do it now. And we just need to keep finding each other. Question I have, and I don't know, is it's bringing on the, the youngest in our society in on this. They're, they're gonna, we're going to have, can we get to them before they have to unlearn everything? How, how do we get to those young readers, those young participants and that, you know, we're all that we're giving birth to and nurturing? I believe the way to reach them is to offer them joy. It will not work to censure them or tell them they're doing it wrong. It will not work to criticize them. It will not work. You know, there's a lot on online about criticizing millennials. I do not feel that any of that will be helpful or reach them. What is missing in our patriarchal culture is joy. And if we offer young people a vision of joy, they will gravitate towards it because they, as a group, are not feeling joy in our culture now. No one is joyful being on their phones all day long. No one is joyful watching pornography. No one is joyful doing these things. We must offer them a vision of joy and then they will be magnetically attracted. Thank you for that. So you've answered a lot of questions I had hoped to capture today. So I I appreciate how you gave us such a clear view of that dichotomy of the genders. And, and you're also, you're, by talking about that very fertile period of leadership of the, the queen, the, like the ages 45 to 65, and I'm hearing in that, it's that learned experience that makes them so wise. 
And so I'll just make a fleeting reference to it. This is not, this would be a whole other show, but that, so this is the confounding hazard in our whole entire global economy that the leadership coming out of tech is from people before they have all that learned experience and they have so much power. That's a big problem for all of us. You are so right. You have nailed it. You have put your finger exactly on it. Very, very perceptive. We have these technology platforms that have been devised by basically 20-year-old men, 30-year-old men who are extremely, extraordinarily smart in their intellectual way, in their limited way, in their technological way. They are smart. I give them all credit. And at the same time, they have no wisdom. So when you think about social media, Facebook, let's talk, say Facebook, it was created by a man who was, I don't know what, 18, 20, he was in college, Mark Zuckerberg, and he created it as a way, here's the underpinning of Facebook. It was created as a way to judge the appearance of women publicly and to humiliate and shame the ugly ones that males decided were ugly. That's the whole underpinning of social media. This is not wise. This is not wisdom. This is not the way we want to treat each other. And yet, if you think about the morphic field of social media, that's where it is because we have allowed young males with no wisdom, they're smart, but they have no wisdom, to guide our whole world. Women need to come back and say, thank you so much for your contribution. This is an amazing technology. And we are now going to help guide you in creating more technologies or altering this one so that it provides a shared good for all so that we can use it wisely and well. Thank you for that, Ava. There, there is a whole show that I could that break down more of those elements, and maybe there is an opportunity. For those of you who've just joined us, I'm Claudia Shamba, your host of Digging Out, with my guest Ava Park, founder, director, and curator of the Museum of Woman, founder, spiritual director of the Goddess Temple of Orange County, a women's spiritual organization meeting at the Museum of Woman that is now during the pandemic on hold and will reopen. And I hope I have a chance to ask about that at the end. Let us now pivot to our seasonal consideration and talk about the Mother Mary, the virgin birth around which you conducted this month's goddess service. Would you talk to us about the idea of Mary, the language of virgin, the meaning of virgin at her time and how that transformed over time for a patriarchal explanation of her meaning and her existence. Well, the woman Marguerite Rigolioso, great, great teacher, a great author, has written about this in her amazing book, Cult of the Divine Birth. It may be, Claudia, it may be, I do not say that it is, but it may be that Mary was one of the last of a long line of priestesses who knew the powerful technique of parthenogenesis. And parthenogenesis for the listeners who may not know is a real thing. It is when the female gives birth without male seed, without sperm. 
And there are many species who still do this. The Brahmini snake, for example, a culture of females and they clone each other and they make perfect copies of each other and that's their daughter. And then that daughter goes on to make perfect copies of herself. So parthenogenesis is a very, very fascinating thing. Jesus may have been one of these consciously created beings from the powers of parthenogenesis that Mary may have had. And she came, if you know your history, and I know you do, she came from a long line of spiritual women. So this is quite fascinating. Anybody who's interested in this should read Rigolioso's book. And when the Christian church, when the early church fathers who created what we now know as Christianity wanted to control Mary because they could not get rid of her, they could not get rid of her in their religion, the people would not allow it. And so they decided to control her image. And so she was turned into the good girl. And that's where you have the beginning of the Madonna whore construct. Uh, well, that construct certainly existed before Christianity, but they certainly furthered it. In ancient times, virgin meant something different. Virgin in some cultures meant that you were a woman on your own needing no, no man to complete you. Virgin might have meant many different things, but it didn't have anything to do with sex. It didn't necessarily mean you hadn't had sex yet. A woman could have, have sex and she could also be virgin. And we talked about this in Sunday services. Mm -hmm. So they controlled Mary's image by turning her into the Madonna. And so for us now, we are now in our culture, we are either the good girl or we're the slut. And that's the divisiveness, the breaking up of wholeness that the dominator model and those who perpetuate it, the patriarchal mindset, want to perpetuate. Because when you make two different choices like that, and you force people to choose one or the other, a whole lot of control can come out of that, a whole lot of control. But it's very hard to control the whole woman, the woman who knows herself to be a good being, a sexual being, a competent being, uh, a being with art and creativity and joy and choice. A woman who knows herself to be whole, she's impossible to control. Mm. So, and I learned later in life from lots of, uh, it was actually, it was a museum encounter that gave me my education about what Mary is wearing at all times in the masterpieces that depict her. And she's always wearing blue and red at the same time. They represent everything about her. Does the matriarchal construct address or does Rigolioso talk about that in the cult of the divine birth? Where that blue and the red, what they mean to all cultures or what, what was that? Was that the billboard for that's what, what is imposed on all women that what the blue and the red signal? Well, I have a question for you, Claudia. What does the blue and the red mean to you? What, what, how, what does it signal for you? Well, it, I, I have a kind of a blank slate about that with the kind of theology I was raised in, but the art history construct that was offered me was blue is her purity. That's the, the virgin that you're talking about. 
and red, because she's got both layers going on all the time in those portraits. The red represents her suffering. Oh, isn't that fascinating? Another patriarchal twist we are being offered. No, no, her, this is, this is part of the hidden information that women need to know. There is no necessity for suffering. This is a patriarchal concept that we must all suffer and blood and, and, and Jesus on the cross dripping blood and suffering and the renunciation of life. And that's what that is supposed to mean. No, no, the red is her life blood, her female blood in which all beings are born, blood of the womb that all beings come forth from. It's her sacred, holy, wonderful life blood. The blood of woman is red. And the blue? And the blue. Well, and I have another aspect on this to share with Please. your listeners. If you look at the four powers of woman, let's take the mother and the queen. And Mary is often referred to as the queen of heaven, which is a little bit of a hint. And ancient goddesses were called queen of heaven and earth. Inanna was queen of heaven and earth. So the red represents the mother. The mother is giving forth her lifeblood so that life can happen and take place here in this plane of existence. And the blue is the queen because the mother is passionate and warm, which is red, and the queen is impersonal and cool. And you need both. One of the reasons why people really had a problem with Queen Elizabeth, the, our current queen of, of Great Britain, when, when Diana died, she did not show very much emotion. There were complex reasons for that, but the people really complained. She's cold and she's, she has no feeling. It was because she did not show us her warm mother heart. The warm mother heart must go along with the cool queen decision-making leadership impersonality. If you have a queen who just makes decisions then without, any, without the warm heart of the mother, she becomes the uh, bad queen. She becomes the evil queen, the cold queen. So in my construct of the four powers of woman, the queen must be queen. She must lead us. We need her. We need her vision. But she must have the warm heart of the mother. She must have that feeling, that, that softness, that giving. And so for me, the red and the blue represent the, the queen mother, the mother queen that Mary is. So in a sense, that conduct of the monarch uh, Elizabeth II was she was eroding her own legitimacy as a true queen by not offering the warm uh, side of her in the nation's grief. Yes, and think about how she was raised. She was raised in a way to believe that a monarch withheld, was very reserved and withheld their feelings. This is a patriarchal construct. Don't give the people your heart. Don't give the people your feeling. 
control them in a cold way. That is a dominator model idea of a monarch, of a sovereign, of a king or a queen. And she was raised with that model to be stiff upper lip, to be reserved. But that's not what a good leader is. A good leader does show the people her heart, does have feelings. She doesn't let herself be ruled by her feelings. She doesn't let her decisions be ruled by emotion, but she shows her people the, the feeling, her feeling heart. She has that warmth. And Elizabeth did not show us that. And so she was criticized. Had she shown us a little bit, she would be, and she's quite loved. Right now, the polls are very much in favor of her, probably because she's you know, a hundred million years old and, you know, people have a, a little softness for somebody who's been, you know, working in a position for so long, but uh, she, she would have done better to show us her heart. Well, I might quickly just argue that with a pandemic raging, that people are looking for strength in their leaders. So they're, they're going to give her back some legitimacy that may have eroded over the decades of some of that, that less warm sorts of comportment, I could say. Well, I want to ask about your plans in closing today, Ava Park, your plans for reopening the Museum of Woman. It was previously in Orange, in Irvine, in Orange County. So what are your plans? And is it going to still be in Orange County? Or what do we get to know today? Well, you get to know what I know, because I'm, I'm transparent like that. We are in a period of rest. We were forced closed by the Orange County Health Department against, against our will. And it was very interesting because other larger institutions were able to remain open, but we were not. And so there was a degree of unfairness in the enforced closure. And, but it was to be, and there was no fighting it. And so we put all of our wonderful, fantastic artifacts, thousands of artifacts, we put them in professional museum storage. And I decided that this was a time the universe was telling us all to go inward, to rest, to stop running around, to stop working. This is a sacred, dark time for us to settle in release all human ideas of what is supposed to happen and simply gather our energy and have no particular ax to grind for the future. I do hold that the museum will open again. I, it does not necessarily have to open in Orange County. What has to happen is that a major donor must come forward, a philanthropist who wants to see a museum of woman, who wants to see the 250,000 years of female-centered history that has been deliberately hidden from the people. When you go to comparative religion classes in college, I was not taught about goddess. Uh, when you talk about religion starting, they start about five or 6,000 years ago with the Judaism, with Zoroastrianism, with Jainism, with Hinduism, and this all this history of goddess veneration that preceded that by thousands and thousands of years is completely ignored. So if there is a major donor who would like to buy us a building, 
we will name the museum after them. The, the Jane Fonda Museum of Woman, the Lily Tomlin Museum of Woman. And our museum will rise again and be a place where women and men can come, where children can come and be educated about the totality of what woman brings to humanity and be educated about all these things that we've been talking about in the last hour. And so I am open right now. We're in the darkest time of the year. Well, solstice, uh, we, just, we just turned towards the light on the 21st, but we've been in the darkest time of the year. And so I've been doing what I think my job is, and that is to release all my human will on this, to go really deep and to allow whatever wants to come forward because that's very important. It's important to the queen, the, the good queen who is serving her people. She wants to help, she's like a midwife who wants to help birth. She's not telling people what to do. That's not what the queen does. The queen doesn't say, okay, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're doing this, we're doing that. No, she divines, she goes inward and looks and feels what, what will serve the people? What do the people want? What does this realm want? And when that comes to her and when the people share with her what they want and when everyone talks about it in council, she supports that. And so I've been the last couple of months since the museum temporarily shut down in August, I've been going inward. What wants to unfold? Something wants to be birthed. And I am not the star. I am not the director of this. I am merely the midwife. That's what a queen is. She's a midwife. She's a midwife who helps the, and the mother is the body of the people, the collective of the people. And the midwife is there just to help guide and ease the process and help bring it into fruition. And so that's my job. I do not say there must be a museum, it must be in this city or that city. No, I'm going to hold what wants to unfold and I'm gonna help birth it when the time is right. Well, thank you for such an elegant way of concluding our time together with that prospect, the juncture that you're at and that society and culture are at now. Thank you so much, Ava Park for giving us your time and the heft of your work and insight in unlearning a dominant culture that can see us through to something, I hope in still our lifetime that can open up to a more affirming kind of broader culture. Well, it has been my pleasure to dig out a little bit with you, Claudia. Thank you. You have infinitely. Thank you so much. My guest was Ava Park. She's founder, director, and curator of the Museum of One, what we were just talking about. Now it's a sort of a virtual notion. And she's founder, spiritual director of the Goddess Temple of Orange County, a woman's spiritual organization and that has now monthly services. And she's an activist for many oppressed and marginal groups, as you heard today. Thank you again, Ava. Blessed be. And we're also having a magical intentional circle by Zoom on New Year's Eve. So people can join New Year's Eve at 10 p.m. from 10 to 1230. 
we are having a magical circle for setting intention for 2021. So that's something else people can look into if they wish. Next week's show, I'll have on Tom Osborne, Ginger Osborne, and Mark Tabber, and they will talk about unearthing some climate policy. Talk with you next week. Happy, happy holidays all. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.